Hey, welcome to Carolina Farm Church again. I did not introduce myself, which I don't think I did. If you guys don't know me, my name is Jeremy Sides. I am the worship director here. That's some small print. You can read that. Um, and I walked into the circle up this morning because we had some other stuff to do. I came in late, and all I heard Jess say was that you're not polished, perfect, or pretty, I think. Yeah. Oh, those words. But that's what I thought. So she's talking about me. No. That's... Um, <laughs> That's what this is going to be. It's going to be great, though. Hey, I complained that I had to do the bad news, and John was going to swoop in and do the good news. But guess what? Joke's on me. I get to do some of the good news, too. And I did, just for the record, well, I can't say that because he did a bunch of it. I get, like, one sermon, and I joke because I do 21, and he does, like, six verses, and then he gives me 30. That's okay. Uh, I hope he feels better. And I'm glad to be here. And uh, we've got a long way to go. Because I wasn't kidding about it being 30 verses. we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. But we're going to knock it out together. Um, just recap real quick. It was all bad. You're all bad. You're terrible. Just so you know. It's fine. You can look at me. I'm terrible too. It's okay. We're in it together. And then we have the good news. And it's great, right? God came. The gospel is good. It's good stuff. We missed it last week. He redeemed us all so you don't have to worry about it. Just follow him. It's good. That was the good news. John talked about that last week. And uh, he opened up a can of worms, though, and he knew it. We're going to get right into it. Because in verse 21, I think it was the very first verse that John talked about, where he said, the law and the prophets testify to what he's talking about, which is we're no longer having to work for everything. Right? The works, we're not, we're not going to heaven because of what we do. We're going to heaven because of a free gift from God. And all we have to do is have faith in that, in salvation. And he said before that, right there, the law and the prophets testified to this. They anticipated, which was, okay, Old Testament stuff. Because we get caught up in a lot. We think, hey, you know, New Testament, we're saved. Jesus came. That's what we're worrying about. But the Jews at that time were saying, hey, wait a minute. So you're saying before the law, before all this stuff. There was, like, how, how was that, how did that happen? How did those people get saved? And Paul says, hey, it was there beforehand. He knew he opened it. Because Paul was a Jew, he knew what was going on. He knew what they were thinking. And he knew what the argument he was going to have, so he was going to go ahead and go up against that argument. And that's pretty much what chapter 4 is all about. And yes, there is a bunch of verses. But... I get to tell a story because he, he talks about somebody in it. So I'm just going to tell that story, and it's going to be all good, and we're going to do it together, okay? But i got to close out chapter 3 because John left a couple verses, and they're hanging. So this is John's close to the good news. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up to chapter 3 of Romans. Uh, there is a version app uh, series for this too, I know, because I did it uh, last night while I was looking at this wonderful stage. All right, the end of chapter 3, we pick it up in verse 27. Where is boasting then? Is it excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. And this is, Paul's having a little bit of fun here because he's, he's throwing a little jab at them. Because they are so hung up on the law and on works and on all that stuff that he throws a jab at them and, say, and says, it's the law of faith. 
basically saying that, hey, we're saved by faith through grace. That is the law, right? So he's just having a little bit of fun with them. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, what I just said. But is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish it. Okay. All I'm saying right there, this is the end of the good news. He's still dealing with some of this. They don't believe him stuff. So he, he draws it to a close. He said Jesus came to fulfill the law. Right? He's the only one that could do it. The law was made so that we would know how bad we actually are because none of us can keep up with it. But Jesus did. And he fulfilled it. And then it says we established the law. Which in... Matthew twenty two forty, the law is now love God and love your neighbor. That is, the, that is the law. So he came to fulfill it, and then he came to establish it, all right? We establish that law by loving God and loving our neighbor. That is the end of chapter 3. That is the good news. No more works. Jesus came to save us. He did. You just have to believe it and have faith in that. And that brings us to chapter 4. All right? And a little prep on chapter 4. So, since Paul knew that this was going to happen, right? He was going to have to come at them with this, where they basically said, prove it. Hey, you just said that somehow before all this, the law and the prophets anticipated this. Prove it. Like, well, you can just say that, but we want some proof about it. We want you to show us where that is. And he says, sure. And he breaks out the big guns. He breaks out the poster child. He breaks out the father, the big daddy of all of it. He breaks out Abraham. Okay? Abraham was the father of Judaism and Christianity. If you are sitting here in, this, in these seats today, and you believe in, Christ, and believe in God, if you call yourself a Christian, you can trace it back to Abraham. All of, all of our genealogy... And the Christian faith goes back to Abraham. And he, he at that time, right, he was held in the highest respect by the Jews and the Gentiles. They knew who he was too. So he knew that when he brought out Abraham, they wouldn't have an argument. They wouldn't have a leg to stand on. So that's what he did. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? Which means, uh, he, what about his good works? What has he found according to the things that he has done? Because he has done a lot of good things. So what can he say about that? For if Abraham was justified by his works, he would have something to boast about, right? Because he was really good. He did a lot of good stuff. So if he's justified by that, can he not? He would have a lot to boast about. He would have a big ego about it. He would have something to celebrate for himself. But it says, but not before God. He's not going to boast about it before God. For the scripture says, because of this, and this is the theme throughout this entire chapter, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that is the entire, that is what this chapter is about. We're going to keep coming back to that verse. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And I'm going to explain what that means in just a second. 
Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. This is talking about us, okay? All that means is, look, if you work, you expect to get paid for it, right? You wouldn't do something without having some benefit for it. You wouldn't go to a job that doesn't pay you. You got to live. And if they don't pay you like you think they should be paying you, you quit. That is what this is talking about. It's straight up work for debt. It's straight up work, get paid for it. That is not the relationship we're supposed to have with God. He doesn't owe us anything. No matter what you do, he doesn't owe us anything. We work for him because we want to, because he allows it, because he lets us, because we get to. And we are, when we're transformed, that's the mindset that we start taking on. Right? That's what we do. We work for him. But he doesn't owe us anything. He never did. That was a free gift he gave us. But that's what this is talking about. When you work here, you expect to get paid for it. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. The same thing, right? If you're not doing works for him, if you don't believe that's how this goes, and you have faith in him, that's accounted to you for righteousness. And that word accounted, accounted there is just like what it sounds like. That's a banking term. Right? We are in debt. We're in the negative. And when we believe in God, he credits that to our faith. He credits righteousness to us. He reverses that. We are no longer in debt. We believe in him. That is paid for. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then it quotes a psalm that David wrote. Blessed are those who, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man to him the Lord shall not, whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And we're not going to deal much with David in this one because I don't have time. Uh, but David is another big dog. So he's breaking out both of them. Like the, the number one hitters, number one and number two. In fact, David might even be the cleanup hitter. And he's saying, this is what they believe. So guess what? We're in for a good ride, okay? And... Uh, Let's talk about that verse 4 for a little bit because that's where all that, all the magic happens. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So let, let's talk a little bit about Abraham. And it's good that this is, I like telling stories. You know, this is a, this is a prime storytelling time. Most of this is, is extreme teaching, which John is great at. And when I hear that I'm preaching 30 verses on stuff like this, it scares me. Okay. But I get to tell a story, which is really good. And for those of you who don't know, uh, what we know about Abraham, we'll talk about he, how he grew up just a little bit because it'll set the picture for what's happening, what he's actually quoting, which is Genesis 15, right? If any of you are interested, he's referring to something that's in Genesis 15 in, in Abraham's life. So that time he was called Abram, which was exalted father. And uh, he, he lived a pretty good life. His dad was uh, apparently very wealthy. We don't know much about Abraham before we pick him up in, I think, 75, but Somehow he came out of a really, it says his dad, the only thing we know about his dad is that he was wealthy and that his, uh, he was an idol manufacturer, is what it says. So he was an idol worshiper for sure. And somehow Abraham came out of that, a righteous man. And this is all right after the Tower of Babel, okay? And it's just, I don't have enough time to go into the history lesson, but, you know, the tower they wanted to build to reach God, and God's like, no, nah, no way, tore it down. They all, all their... Uh, they started speaking different languages because so they have to separate 
Anyway, he's coming out right after that. I know I just said a lot of stuff, and uh, I don't have time to clarify it. But you can go back and read Genesis if you want to. It's uh, some really good stuff. So here's Abraham. He's 75. God comes in and says, hey, you need to get out of here. He says, you need to move. I'm going to take you to a place where I'm going to show you, but you just need to get up and go. And Abraham says, okay. He says, sure. That's the kind of man Abraham was. He had a good life, had lots of stuff, but he was righteous. God came to him and said, hey, you're leaving. And he said, cool. And then a lot of other stuff happens. Okay? You guys remember uh, Lot, all that stuff? Pillar of salt? Ringing any bells? Okay, good. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, all that stuff happens. He, he lands in the, and he ends up in the land that God promised him, which is Canaan. Right? He's there. He's hanging out. God comes to him and says, hey, let's go for a stroll. Let's go for a walk. Isn't that cool? That's cool. I was thinking about that. Hey, what if God just showed up and said, hey, let's go for a walk? That's what happened. And uh, when I was thinking about that, God kind of smacked me in the face and said, you do that every morning because you have the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, I got you. Yeah, that's cool. Sorry. Yes, that's what we should be doing. But here's Abraham. God shows up and says, hey, let's go for a walk. He says, okay. God says, look up at the stars. Abraham looks up. He says, can you count them? Count them. And I don't know if you, any of you have ever been into a maybe big campers or anything like that where you go into somewhere where there's no light pollution. It's a totally different ballgame with stars. It is amazing. I, I did a lot of work for a nonprofit, and uh, I had to go into some really remote parts of Africa and things like that, and I went to uh, South Sudan Mountains. And I was spending some time with a tribe there called the Maasai. And a uh, little known fact about me, not that you care, I am an honorary Maasai warrior. No joke, right? This is a tribe that still hunts lions with spears, okay? And they made me, I, I didn't hunt anything with a spear. Uh, I was videoing them. And that was a lot of fun, but the first night I was there, I looked up and it, I mean, it's amazing. Different hemisphere, different stars, no light pollution. The closest light pollution is probably 20 hours away. And it is lit up. Nothing like what we have here with all the light pollution that we have. And I have to believe that's what Abraham is looking at. And by the way, if you're curious about what that is, uh, in light years, it would take us a second and a half to get to the moon. It would take us 100,000 years plus to go across our galaxy. 100,000 years. And there's billions of galaxies. And the Bible says, God said, that's ah, not so big. It's about the span of my hand. That's what God says. This is what it is. So anytime you think God might not have it under control, just do this. Wives, look at your husband and just do this. God, God's got it. You can point that at me and be like, yeah, geez, God's got it. Jeremy's okay. God, God's got it. Spain your hand. If I ever walk around and I see you guys doing this, I know something's wrong. All right. But that's what he said. I got it. It's right here. Look up. He says, can you count those stars? Nope. That's going to be your legacy. You're going to have this many children, this many kids. And at this time, the dude was 86. Think about that. He's 86 years old. God says, hey, this is going to be your heritage. This is the nations. This right here. They're all going to come from you. And where most of us would have been like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. 
God, I'm 87, man. That ain't happening. Plus, I don't want a toddler running around. I'm 87. Imagine that. He didn't say that. He said, I believe it. I believe it. And right there, God said, you're righteous. That belief, because you believe me, is accounted to you for righteousness. Now, that was before the law, 400 years before it. This is way before Moses, way before any of this other stuff. So in the middle of none of that, none of this work stuff, Abraham believed and God said, you got it. This is the proof. This is what Paul is saying. This faith for salvation, for the free gift, it existed way before the law. You guys twisted the law. That's not what the law was supposed to do. This is how it's always supposed to have been. All you have to do is believe in me. I think that's all he had to do. Abraham believed in God. He accounted it to him for righteousness. Right there. And then we move on a little bit further in the story. We're going to pick it up in chapter 9. And I joked uh, when I got up here and had to preach on the bad news. I joked that it was about circumcision. And then John wrote back on me and said, joke's on you. It's on circumcision. It's great. All right. So pick it up here in verse 9. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Does the blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. I told you. If I had, if I, yeah, if I had a $5 for every time I said circumcision, I'd like 50 bucks. Because that's the only time I've ever said it. All right. Here, listen. Let me just talk about this for a minute. Because this is a, actually a big part of this. Because to the Jews, circumcision was a big deal. Okay? Circumcision was a sign to them. It was supposed to be a sign of who they were. The chosen people. It did set them apart, but it was just a sign. It had no power. It was just a sign. And they took it further and started believing in that for salvation. Because we're circumcised, we're saved. And that is not the case. It was only ever meant to be a sign of who they were. And at this time, when Abraham had this righteousness accounted to him, he was uncircumcised. So not only was he uncircumcised, he had the righteousness accounted to him because he believed as an uncircumcised person, which helps us out even more. So Paul is saying, hey, look, the playing grounds, it's level. The playing field's level. We're all the same. You told me to prove it. 
This is how I'll prove it. And I've been a part of, look, this is, this is baptism, okay? This is the same thing as baptism. We are big on baptism because that is a sign of what you have done, and that's accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's all it is, though. It's a sign. It's a symbol. It doesn't do anything except proclaim to everyone else that you are who you are, which is a child of God. That's what circumcision was, but they took it too far. And I've been a part of religions that get all into signs and things like that of the, to prove that you're saved or that you have the Holy Spirit. Okay? I, I came out of a Pentecostal background. I was Assemblies of God, very charismatic, which is why I get a little jumping up and down up here sometimes. Okay? I still have that in me. I can't get it out of there. But I didn't necessarily agree. I had to really go back and look at some of the things they were doing because I grew up Baptist, if you can imagine that. I went Baptist to Assemblies of God. They would run me out of the Baptist church if I would have been some, like, done some of those things. But I always had, a, always had an issue because I can't. This is getting way into the, inside the numbers, right? But everybody, I was in seminary with 1,500 people. And this is in the big Assemblies of God chapel. And he'd be like, everybody, start speaking in tongues. And I'd, I'd go, like, I, I don't know. I, it's like, I, coming from Baptist background, something in me was like, this, I don't know what's going on. And everybody else was just doing it. And I thought something was broken with me because I couldn't. And then they started teaching that that was a sign that you were saved because if you don't do that, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I went, whoa, man. I don't know about this. Show me that. Prove it. And they tried and be like, I don't, man, I don't know. And I spent time preaching some of that stuff. And I, I realized that, no, man, that's not it. It's a sign. And look, I'm not, I'm not up here trying to prove, disprove tongues, any of that stuff. That's not what this is about. That's a whole other topic for a whole other day. I'm just saying there's a lot of religions out there that use signs to say that if you don't do this, you're not saved. And that's not the truth. It's not. There might be things that are signs that you do because you're saved, but they don't make you saved. They don't keep your salvation. That's what baptism was, is. That's what circumcision was. So here's what happened. Here's what had happened. What had happened was. Abraham's 87. God says, you're going to have a baby. You and Sarah, you're going to have a baby. He says, believe it. Amen. Let's do it. You got it. At 87. Sarah, not so much. Right? Takes two to tango, right? Abraham's not the only one in this scenario. Sarah was like, no, I don't know about this. So she said, hey, this ain't going to happen. Okay? So she convinced Abraham to have a child with one of their servants, Ishmael, which is a whole other deal for a whole other day. Don't have time for that. And then God shows up, right? God comes for another walk. And he says, hey, what you doing? And Abraham says, no, nothing. Who's a, you got a kid? Yeah. 
okay, where'd that come from? Well, you know, it's, uh, that's not the promise I gave you. Abraham says, this, here's a, you can use it. No, that's not the promise. I made a promise. You said you believed me. Do you believe me? And Abraham said, yeah, I believe you. And Sarah, you know the story, laughed. She snickered. <laughs> God said, huh? Excuse me? Seriously, that's what he said. What? Is there anything that I can't do? Abraham said, no, sir. No, sir. There's nothing that you cannot do. God said, all right, then. Do you believe me? He said, yeah, I believe you. And because of that, and this is why I love, this is why I love stories about Abraham and David and some of these guys, because they are, look, David, David was the man, a man after God's own heart, and he was a knucklehead. He was a knucklehead. He did all kinds of stuff wrong. He shipwrecked entire families. He was the world's biggest knucklehead sometimes. But God turned around and said, hey, he's a man after my own heart. Abraham, he messed up. He had some moments where he was a knucklehead. But he still believed. It didn't lower his, he, he, he just a human, right? Just like you and me. This is why I like stories about this, because I, I realize that I, I, there's still a chance, right? I still have some skin in the game. And you can look at me and say, hey, you're a knucklehead. That's fine. I'm a knucklehead. That's okay. I still got time. Abraham messed up, but he still believed. God still used him. And because of that, to renew that faith to, as a sign that he believed, he then got circumcised at 99. All the men. Hey, listen. Side note. Let's listen to this. This is a. Hey, I, I'll breeze through this real quick. This Maasai tribe that I was with. <laughs> what makes you an like a warrior adult past childhood? They don't circumcise until they're fifteen, and it is in front of the village. And if they flinch, they are not a warrior. No joke. And they said, "You want to stick around for that? You can shoot that." I said, "Nope." I don't need to film that. Nobody's going to see it that I took off. But real, no joke. 99 years old, Abraham got circumcised. As a sign that he still believed. And that was account. That's when the righteousness was accounted. He reaffirms it. Look in uh, verse 16 to 22. We're skipping through a little bit because I don't have time for it. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed, God who believes life, who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Stop right there. Thank God. He makes things that are dead alive. He's the one that can do it. 
Is something in your life dead? Does it need to be brought back to life? Is a relationship that you have dead? Where's God? I said this two weeks ago in all the bad news. Are you struggling with something? Where's God? Is something going wrong in your life? You need an answer to something? Where's God in that scenario, in that equation? When are you talking to him? When are you asking him? And if it's been a long time since you did and that train is coming off the tracks, it might take a minute to get it back on. But just like I said up there, it doesn't change the game. He still got it. And he puts life in things that are dead. That is what he does. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. Contrary to the fact that he was 99 years old. Contrary to anything that is in here that makes sense. Contrary to that, he believed in hope. He believed that God could do it. So that he became the father of many nations. I need to pick up my Bible. Keep going. Did it freeze? Thomas? There you go. Thank you. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. There you go. Sorry. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, here it is again, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now listen, if you were a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, would you believe that God could give you a child? No? Yes? This is a yes or no question. You can answer. Would you want a child? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I never had, I never had, like, I never wanted to have kids. Which is, I know, a shock to a lot of you since I just run around with them all day and I act like a child. I never wanted to have kids. Probably because I was never in that scenario where it would have been okay, right? And then I married a woman, Monica, Monica, who had a 15-year-old. And I was like, great. I don't have to deal with all that other stuff. I'll get a 15-year-old who is a great kid. He's 25 now. Fantastic. Tyler. And then when I got married, I realized, hey, I might have wanted to have a kid. Hmm. Monka said, that ain't going to happen. Monka said, you said you didn't want any more kids, and it ain't going to come. We ain't, we ain't doing that. I ain't chasing a baby around. All right, fast forward nine years. About two months ago, we had a little scare. Oh, she doesn't mind me saying this. She's not here today, so that's okay. Should be all right. <laughs> she said, um, honey, and I went, oh, no. 
That's terrible. That's awful. <laughs> oh, no, she saw my face. She knew I was kidding. Like that, I got super excited. And then I realized, you'll be like 70 when that kid gets out of high school. Oh, man. I ain't going to you know, <laughs> Abraham's 100. He was uh, like 112 when Isaac went, never mind, that's a whole other story. But he's chasing around a kid. I, I can't imagine it. I can't even imagine having the faith to know or think that it would happen. And here's the deal with God. <laughs> he can do anything. We forget that. I was thinking yesterday, I was driving my car, talking about this message, thinking through it. And I started thinking about just how powerful God is. I'm trying to put that image in my head. No beginning, no end. All powerful. Knows everything. And my mind exploded. You can't, you can't fathom it. You can't because we want to put everything in a box. We want to be able to explain everything. We want to be able to work on something to fix it. And if that's something that we can't get in our head and wrap our head around it and figure it out, we have a hard time believing it. This is why, look, this is why it is so important for us to have a strong children's program. We are very concerned about that, which besides this is one reason why we're looking for somewhere to go, because we, we we've outgrown our space. We need more space for the kids. And kids have this uncanny ability to imagine things without restraints of the world. When you tell a kid, man... There's a guy that came and died on the cross for you. And he took all your sins, all the bad things you're ever going to do. He took it. And he knows everything. And he's all powerful. And he can handle everything. And he can do anything for you. Just to believe in him and ask him. And a kid says, I believe in you. Yes. And if we don't get them when they're young, when you get old like me, you have a problem believing that because you want to put your restraints on it. And here's the problem. You want to put what's wrong with you onto God instead of taking what's perfect about him and bringing that into your life. You want to take all the restraints of this world that you have and put that restraint on him because that's where you live. And it's hard for us to understand a free gift. There's got to be a catch. When in groups, which you should all be in, because you'll be able to talk about all this stuff. John asked a question, what would you do if somebody showed up and said, hey, uh, your mortgage is paid for. Hey, your car's paid for. Without a beat, all of us said, what's the catch? Some of us are like, no, nah, we're okay, no thanks. <laughs> because there's gotta be some catch, right? It's hard for us to think about that. What's going on with it? What will I owe you? That's what we think. So to understand that God, who gave us a free gift and sacrificed his son for it, it's hard for us to imagine. That's why there's so many religions that believe you have to do X, Y, Z to get into heaven. Because we think we have to work for something. We think it's a debt. Or that we work, and then we should get paid for it. That's another thing that we think. We think we're owed something because we do the work. 
That's the wrong attitude. You don't get God at all. Every time I talk to a Jehovah's Witness, I joke with them because they say, hey, you know, talk about me becoming a Jehovah's Witness. And I said, well, I'm going to be really better than you a lot. I'm going to work a lot harder than you. And I might kick you out because there's only a certain number of you to get into heaven because of what you do. I'm going to, I'm going to do better than you. I'm just telling you. Might want to be careful. Just a joke. I just joke with them. And then I tell them who I am and they walk out the door because they don't want to talk to me, which is fine. It's work-based, man. I don't, I don't believe in that. I believe in a God who gave us a free gift. He took all that. Doesn't expect you to work for it, but wants you to know him more so it can transform your life. So you want to do those things, realizing that he still rewards you for it. Listen, the entire point of this message for us besides the fact that Paul is trying to explain to the Jews that this, is, this was their way before you guys came into the picture. This is not a new idea. And the guy who started all of this for you believed in it. Somewhere along the line, you messed it up. And the point for them and the point for us is that, like I said up here when we started, before we started singing that song, Freedom, is that we come in here with things shackled to us and we leave with the same things. But we don't have to. You come in here with issues that we need to work out and you leave with them. Don't do that. God can handle it. Whatever your problem is, God can handle it. And we're getting ready to do a song. Josh is going to lead it with us. Thank, thank you, Josh. Wherever you guys can come on up. You just walk around behind me. It's okay. Josh is going to lead us in a song. We've been called Build My Life. It's all about how strong God is. Lead me. With my eyes in wonder. Some of you guys came in here today with something going on that's so big for you. You don't know how you're going to handle it. You don't know how you're going to fix it. You're trying to work it out. You're trying to see what you can make, what you can do to fix it, and it's not working. It's not working. You came in here with a messed up relationship and you can't figure out how to fix it. And you're frustrated. And you're tired. When you leave here today and you walk out, I want you to remember one thing. This. Anytime you've got a problem, this. Look at the entire universe. Which, by the way, is really weird to me because it's still growing. I don't understand it. Anyway, he did this. It's not that big. About that. That's my God. 
no matter what happens, no matter who's sick, I just say, yes, I believe it. You got it. I'll stand up here. It's fine. This is what you called me to do. This is what you asked me to do. Whether I'm ready or not, I trust you. And there's been so many times that I've stood in a stage just like this where I've had a really bad week or something has happened I'm really frustrated. And I don't know what I'm going to say. And it just happens. And I get off the stage and sometimes I'm like, man, that was, that was awful. And somebody walks up bawling because it's exactly what they needed to hear. It has nothing to do with me. I'm available. I said, okay, I believe you. You called me to do this, I believe you. Some of you guys just need to say, okay, I believe you. You got it. Whatever's going on in my life right now, you got it. I'm free from sin. I'm free from death because I took that. I believe it. Your love never fails. No matter what's going on, you love me. And I believe in the hope of things that are dead that can be brought back to life. If I believe it. This is how he ends it. And I got this from, I, I took a little note from Jess from, uh, I, I never do this. I don't even look at it because I don't know. That's a different story. I went to the message. Because sometimes, especially in Romans, you read things and you're like, what did, what did I just say? I have no idea what that just said. And sometimes the message can explain it pretty well. So this is the message's version. This is how Paul closes this out. Talking about Abraham. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise. Asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God. Sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. That's where it says it was accounted to him for righteousness. But it's not just Abraham, it's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. God brings dead things back to life. What's dead in your life? What needs to be brought back to life? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Thank you for allowing me to just stand here and say, okay, you got it. You got it. I'm not ready. I'm not ready, but you got it. I'll do the work. I'll do as much as I can, but you got it. I'm dead. 
You brought me to life. I trust you. I don't deserve any of it. And somehow you still let me do it. You allow me to do this. Which is still something I can't even fathom. You love me so much. Not only that you would save me, but you would set me up to do this. To bring other people to you. I pray that you would do a work in our lives and our hearts and our minds. That you would remind us every day when we wake up, A, that you're asking us to take a stroll with you every day. But that whatever problem comes in our life, you say, I got this. You believe? Do you believe? And I hope we say, yes. I believe. You got it. listen, if you're here today and you don't know what I'm talking about, you have no idea what this gift is, what this freedom is, what this hope is, what this life is about, that we're talking about, man. Oh, and you came in here and this is, life just doesn't seem like it's working. There's something about it, you just can't do it. Guess what? God's got it. God's got it. All you have to do is have faith. Believe it. His son came with the perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, and then was dead and brought back to life. He took that sin, took the wages, the debt that we owed, and gave a free gift. And he didn't have to, but he owed us nothing. If you're here and you don't know that, you don't know what it's like to live in that freedom. Come see me. Let's work on that. We love you. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. I thank you for this family that would allow me to do this. I thank you for sitting and just listening to you and laughing at me because I'm a knucklehead. That's okay. I'm a knucklehead for you. We love you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray.